Listener Production. Shares. Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is the Motley Fool Money Mailbag. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our very special, it's always special, Sunday Mailbag Edition. I am joined by Andrew Page, the founder and managing director of strawman.com. G'day, Ram. How are you? Good, Scott. Good, very good. Uh, how are you? I'm very well. I, of course, am Scott Phillips, the Motley Fool's Chief Investment Officer, and together we are Motley Fool Money. It's like superheroes, isn't it? And <laughs> when we formed the, you know, held together a magic sword or when we joined our rings together or something, we became something. <laughs> we are Motley Fool, Andrew and I are Motley Fool Money. Uh, mate, uh, thank you for joining me on a Sunday. Uh, of course, not, not recorded on a Sunday, nor even live because I'm still on holidays, although... As of now, I'm literally back at home, all things being equal, or I'm stuck straight on the side of the road somewhere or some other horrible calamity has prevented me from getting home. But if everything's working properly, um, I'm almost back on deck, mate. So uh, so there's that, uh, which is hopefully hopefully useful. Uh, and along weekend a good trip. ahead, um, I do want to I do want to quickly just pay our respects to our veterans and to those who did pay the ultimate sacrifice in war. Anzac Day, of course, uh, coming up, and uh, it's important that won't be. This is not an Anzac Day uh, podcast. We're not even going live on Anzac Day, but um, an important time uh, to to do that and just respect that. Uh, plenty of people talk about having a long weekend as a party weekend. I get it. I don't necessarily mind that, but just a reminder that Anzac Day is a day of commemoration. And so, for those who uh, feel appropriately, uh, just just you know, for, for what it's worth, I'll just throw my two cents. Say just moderate a little bit and just be a little bit mindful, if you would, if you could, um, of, of what today's about it's, or tomorrow's about. It's obviously a public holiday uh, and we're not working and all that kind of stuff, but it's a public holiday for different reasons than most of our public holidays, which is a day of remembrance and commemoration. So um, just nicely drop that at the beginning of the beginning of the podcast. Uh, mate, uh, let's, uh, let, let's get on to a mailbag episode. We've got some great questions, as always, from some of our listeners. Uh, and I, I like this first one from Manuel, uh, who says, G'day, Scott and Ram. I'm enjoying the podcast. Not so much my portfolio, which is based on two Motley Fool services, Share Advisor and Extreme Opportunities. Now, we'll say outright, as much as Andrew and I are the Motley Fool Money podcast, uh, Andrew doesn't work for the Motley Fool, so he isn't responsible for, uh, particularly when things go badly, the performance of Motley Fool services. I might jump in and by all means give a view. I'll, I'll take um, the credit when it goes yeah, well. Yeah, totally, exactly. Well, Andrew used to work for the Motley Fool. By the way, quick ad, if you haven't yet, check out the Good Oil podcast. Not because, well, do it because it's great. Do it because I host it. Those are two really important things. If you won't do it for those reasons, do it because I interviewed Andrew recently. Now, I'm taking a bit of a flying leap here because I'm not sure if the episode's live as of the date this goes live. If it is, great. If not, subscribe now so you get the episode when it drops because uh, we talk a whole lot about, about strawman.com, about Andrew, his entrepreneurial journey, uh, his background, including at The Motley Fool. So um, yeah, do that. It's it, fantastic. I really enjoyed it, mate. And by the way, for those who want to laugh at me and laugh at Andrew about the crypto thing, I may have during that podcast have suggested we might do a second one at some future point talking about crypto and kind of doing that as its own good oil podcast. So if you're not yet subscribed, <laughs> as I said, if you won't do it for me, if you won't do it for The Motley Fool, if you won't do it for the rest of the conversations, do it to hear Andrew. Uh, I can't tell you whether there was or wasn't a rant in this particular episode. That would be giving away too much. <laughs> Suffice it to say, when we talk about crypto, it'll, uh, it'll get a little bit more uh, interesting. All right, uh, let's back to the no. question. So Manuel good, says- Good look, cross promotion there. Love <laughs> yeah, exactly. It. Do you like that? Uh, Manuel hasn't had a great recent experience with share advising extreme opportunities. He says, I started in November last year and have been buying right up till now with 19 companies and counting. Overall, I'm down 16%, which feels worse than it probably is, considering the long-term rave you always give. However, over the same period, the All Odds is actually up 2.7%, which gets me thinking, what have I done wrong to be so far from the market with 17 air quotes, good companies, and two ETFs. He's got the Asian Tigers ETF and the NASDAQ 100 ETF in my portfolio. I've roughly 40% extreme opportunities and 60% share advisor. Now, I will say quickly, not to, I don't want to promote the services, but just so our listeners know, share advisor, medium, large cap, growth-ish generally, bit of value thrown in when we find it. Extreme opportunities, smaller, much higher risk businesses. Uh, the guys that actually expect to have more losers than winners, uh, but expect those winners to well and truly cover the losers. So just to kind of give our listeners who aren't members and no pressure to be a member, um, but just, just so you know, that's kind of the reference. So he's got 40% extreme opportunities, 60% share advisor. I've done some other things, says Manuel, like unlisted property trusts and cash to bring that extreme opportunities waiting down. Okay. 
I've been guilty of looking at my P&L and buying more of the cheapest stocks, but I have rarely had a winner to add to. Oh man, I feel your pain recently. A couple of questions and statements to explore some general advice. Why don't you try and give some more commentary on some of the bigger losers on the scorecard, which happen to be some of my biggest losers and stocks I chased as they fell? Why does the market hate them so much over the last six to 24 months? If they are good companies. I have Ram's words echoing in my head. You don't want to be holding an absolute piece of, and then he does use the word used, Andrew, but I'm not going to because I'm not that sort of person. A piece of rubbish, let's call it that. Why do you think, asked Manuel, I am so far from the all ordinaries over the same period? Good question. How can I ever expect to get close to the scorecard results when it's impossible or impractical to hold so many positions? And the scorecard has no weighting in its positions, which is far from the truth of every investor's portfolio. What can we do to mitigate the problem? I have more money, but where to put it? Buying new companies worries me because I have so many. The paperwork is a nightmare, especially with some small positions. Should I just even up some weightings? I'm worried that my, that my four out of 10 that are supposed to take off, this is the um, extreme opportunities thing, will I have enough weight to get me over the line? Or should I buy the cheaper looking stocks and add to the winners? Two out of 19 seems very low, he says. I agree. I have six other stocks, only down by less than 5%. So do I consider these as winners? in such a beaten up portfolio. I'm trying hard to keep the faith in the long-term strategy, but the cynic in me thinks what a great business. Customers pay annually and don't get to judge you for three to five years. I hear that, Manuel. I understand that criticism. I think I have the guts to ride out the storm. I'm far from panicking, but I really need to understand why I'm off the mark and what should I do to adjust my portfolio or position myself best to gain when my beaten up stocks finally turn around. Keep up the podcast and have a nice day. Cheers, Manuel. Uh, there's some tough questions there, mate, but some very, very, very reasonable ones. Um, I'll ask you the questions in order uh, and feel free to kind of go off the off the uh, the page if you need to. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, well, I'll, I'll, answer the fir- I'll ask the first one of myself. Why don't we try and give some more commentary on some of the bigger losers on the scorecard? Manuel, here's the hard part, right? In, and this might or may, not, uh, may or may not be Andrew's answer later, but... The honest answer is that if we did, we'd just be talking for the sake of talking. And that might actually help, right? You may actually need that and maybe we should do it. Um, why don't we? Because very little's changed. So many of the companies that we liked six months ago, we like every bit as much now, probably even more because the share price is lower. And if you like something at $5 and it falls to $3 and you think it's eventually worth 10 you should like it more. So yeah, maybe we should just for the sake of having the conversation, quite honestly. Um, but... Uh, the answer is why we don't do it because we try and spend our time finding and researching the next best ideas or, or our current best ideas for the next recommendation uh, rather than circling and going back and back and back to the stuff we've already talked about. Now, we probably should because it might make you feel better and maybe that's something we should take away from this. But the honest answer is with limited resources, um, we're looking forward, not backwards and trying to find the stuff that comes next. Andrew, but I will ask you the question. He mentioned some growth stocks here. Oh, I'll mention them, why not? Uh, Setire, Avita Medical, Kogan, PointsBet, the Asia ETF. He says, why does the market hate them so much over the past six to 24 months if they are good com- good companies? And are they, is he holding? Absolute piece of rubbish. I'm not going to ask you to talk about these stocks, but feel free. Um, just generally, mate, I, I, well, I'll set up by saying I think this is, this is um, sentiment and I think it's actually kind of market-wide or at least maybe sector-wide is a better way to put it. Uh, but why do you think the market hates some of these stocks so much? It's hard to know. So what you will find, and there's plenty of um, pundits out there that will explain. Our industry is really good at it with, with hindsight, wrapping a narrative around something. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, so I can tell you exactly what happened and why, or at least make something sound plausible. Yeah. Um, and once you know where you end it, up, it's easy to make the opinion fit, right? Well, obviously it yeah. went from 10 to $7.38 because – it's like, well, you know, when you're at 10 or when you're at 7.38, no one knows what comes next. Yeah. it's So, you know, I, I could I could try that. I could probably mm-hmm. talk about how growth stocks have come onto the nose, concerns over interest rates and valuations and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. But the, the honest answer, the true, truest answer is that the market is just willing, not prepared to pay as much as it once did. It's in a, it's in a, a fouler mood today. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a question of was it wrong then? Is it right now? Uh, was it right then? Is it wrong now? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's really hard. But this is the. I mean, Manuel made such an excellent point. It's just sort mm-hmm. of this is the beauty of our game, right? So you can say, "Hey, I think this is a really good company," 
and it goes up, you know, ah, see, I told you it was. It goes down, you say, ah, oh, it's a long-term game, you know, don't worry about it. <laughs> That's right. So it's so, it's, right. it's just going to stick in your craw, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, and plenty of people sort of hide behind that excuse. But, yeah. but at the same time, it's kind of true. Mm-hmm. So That's it, a hard part. <laughs> yeah, you don't know. So the question is really when you bought the company or when the company was recommended, mm-hmm. what was the thesis behind mm-hmm. that? What made you think that that was uh, a company worth uh, owning a part of? And, and why you thought that there was value apparent. Now, what's changed? Now, obviously, the price has changed a lot. Yep. Um, okay, so that's so we can put that one down to sentiment in the absence of any other news. Mm. Um, has there been any other news? Has the company said, actually, we thought we were going to make this much this year and now we're downgrading our forecast by 20%? Mm. Or the CFOs just run off to Jamaica with half of the, the capital reserves of the business <laughs> or, you know, something that goes, ooh, I made a huge mistake here. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it's really hard. I'll, I'll give you a really good example. So we've talked about REA Group yep. before. So um, realestate.com, uh, uh, one of these just incredible businesses. If you'd bought it 10 years ago, you're up by 850% in yeah. a market that's up 75%, right? That was a good investment. I don't think anyone's mm. going to disagree with that. Mm. But when I do the same analysis over the last three months, REA Group's down 22% in a market that's wow. flat. Right? So. Yeah. And and that's interesting, mm. but here's the other interesting thing. Pick and don't, I, you know, I've just randomly picked a stock that I know has done very well over the long term. But do it, do, do it at home. Find a company that you know has done extraordinarily well mm. over a multi-year period, and then I guarantee, without even knowing the name of the stock, <laughs> I guarantee that there will be extended uh, periods of sustained and significant drawdown. Yep. That 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 is worse than what the market has experienced. It it happens all of the time. So it's kind of like this is normal. Mate, Woolies is- halved at one point. I mean, yeah, talk about, yeah. about the, the bluest of blue chips and the most stable of operating businesses. The number of baked beans they sell every week, I dare say, probably changes by 3% <laughs> between in any given week. And yet uh, their shares have been all over the joint for, a, for a, what is otherwise a blue chip, safe, uh, defensive, all those kind of words we or phrases that yeah. like I say we use, plenty of other people use to describe this stuff. It's it's even those companies, let alone the tech companies, let alone the high flyers and the stuff like REA. Totally normal, totally normal. So it happens for the best of the best of the best companies all of the time, yep. and for periods that feel like forever. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so I, so I come back to my first point. What's changed? Um, I don't know the, those businesses that you've spoken of particularly well, but I'd suggest probably nothing other than sentiment. And if that's the case, great. It's actually cheaper. It's actually better value. Um, if something has fundamentally changed, share price could go down 20% and still be actually more expensive than it was yeah. because with new information at hand, you've actually realised that, oh, geez, <laughs> it was a bad time to buy because it was well overvalued and now I can still see it's still overvalued. Yeah. Really difficult, really difficult questions. This is why ver- there is such turnover with mm-hmm. investors. Um, you know, people come to the market for the right reasons and we get shaken out all the time. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, it means that people tend to buy high because market's doing well, we're all feeling really smart and lots of people are making money, we get in, it does what it always has done mm. and always will do, which mm. is fluctuate. And then you find yourself in a position where it's like, wait a second, I've, I've lost some money and oh, I'm, oh, this sucks and you get out. So you buy high and you sell low yeah. and then you give up and it's just like the market's rigged, it's a casino, it's, it's all <laughs> of that kind of stuff. But it's normal. It, it really is um, 100% normal. The other thing I would say too is, and again, this sounds like a bit of a cop-out, but, you know, if you – and I hear this all the time. People say, I'm going to be a long-term investor. <laughs> and then, you know, three months later, it's down a bit. And they're going, well, it's going on. This is stupid. What have I made? I've made a terrible mistake. What does the market know yeah. that I don't it, – it's, 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 it's like trying to predict what season you are in by measuring the temperature at a certain day, <laughs> certain time of day and a certain time. You don't know. There can be really hot days in winter. There can be really cold, windy, rainy days in the middle of summer. You know, it's just, it's, it's that difference between sort of climate and weather. Mm. And, and so I would, I guess I would just sort of say those, those kinds of things. Um, the other thing that I wanted to pick up on in that, in that comment was that uh, I've tried to buy the ones that are cheaper. Mm. Now that's where you've got to be particularly careful. Are they cheaper? Well, the price has gone down, but as I said before, we always make the mistake that if the price falls, it's cheaper. If the price goes up, it's more expensive. <laughs> no, not necessarily. Yep. You know, it depends on where that 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 objective evaluation of value mm-hmm. kinds of kind of sits. Mm-hmm. 
So it's really tough. It really sucks. I, I've said before recently that the last three months I've ab- absolutely had it handed to me. Mm-hmm. Um, in my portfolio, I'm, I'm down more than that. <laughs> if it makes any <laughs> consolation to you. Yeah. Uh, on average, right. our members on Strawman are down about 12% um, since August in a market that now with dividends is up about 4%. Yeah. Um, it, so, so, yeah, what do you say to it? I don't... I, I, it, it just it does. I always cringe when I make these comments because it's sort of like saying, "Hey, yeah, you, you're wor- you're wrong to worry about the fact that mm-hmm. you've lost real money. Mm-hmm. You're, you're wrong to consider this a failure." Yeah. Um, but it's 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 potentially. I should say it's not true. It's potentially true. Again, what's changed with what you've bought? Mm-hmm. If it's only the price, it's absolutely much 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 better value. If mm-hmm. if other things have changed, then potentially not. That's the touchstone you've got to keep coming back to. Yeah, that's a really great summary. Um, so here's oh, a couple of things I'll add. Um, we, if you're long term, so if you're long term investor, you're looking for the, you're looking to the future. And you're saying in, in five years time, I think this would be worth more money. And you do that because you accept. At least we do. I think I'm speaking for you, Andrew. I'd, feel free to jump in at any point. We accept that in the short term, volatility is about sentiment and what people are thinking and how they're feeling. And in the long term, the longer you go out, the more the, the less that sentiment matters and the more the underlying value of a company will show. So so the great saying there is in the in the short term the market is a, a voting machine. In the long term it's a weighing machine. Beautiful. Ben Graham via Warren Buffett. So that's and that's so that's the reality, right? Now I will um, and if, 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 we're, if we're right, we might not be. If we're right, $1 becomes two over five years, right? $1,000 becomes $2,000. Well, pick your number, pick your time frame, it doesn't matter. Um, if you knew that you could go from $1,000 to $2,000 in five years' time, but for 90% of that time, you're going to be at $600, do you do or don't you? Well, if you knew for sure you're going to get $2,000, of course you'd say, well, of course I would. Why would I not? I don't mind that it's, you know, if, if, in, the, if in the meantime, it's, you know, someone's going to say it's worth $600, I don't care because I'm going to wait for that five year period, then get my $2,000. So, see, I told you I was right. Now, there's not that guarantee nor that certainty with investing because some of those $1,000 to $2,000 theses will end up being 600 bucks, and at that point, they'll be justifiably worth that much because the business starts to suck or just simply is less attractive or less valuable than it was previously or interest rates change or a whole lot of other things happen. And so that is a lot of the long-term investor. And that's what I've always done, Andrew, as far as I know, for at least for the recent, recent parts that you've always done, I always say always. Um, I've, I've said before, I... <laughs> Try to try to trade a mining stock once because uh, a mate told me that when it was high, you sell it. When it's low, you buy it. And it seems apparently supposed to be great. Turns out it doesn't work out that way, which is strangely enough. Uh, but, uh, but there you go. Um, and that that's the reality, Manuel. So that's kind of what we do. In terms of like, I'm not going to get too defensive about the services that we run, but I will say that's what I've always done at Share Advisor. For 10 years, I've run that service. And over that 10 years time, we're doing, we're beating the market. So... My answer in one part is not to say rely on past performance because it is no guarantee, as the legal eagles will say. But the numbers are also there. If you remember the service, you can go right back to our very first recommendation, made by my predecessor, by the way, in early December 2011. He made the first half dozen or so, and I've done every one since. Um, you can see exactly how we've done. And you can see that we've beaten the market over that period of time by doing exactly that. And that may not continue. That could always stop. I, I'm not going not gonna to try and... You know, have you believe that there's some unchangeable law of um, law of you know the universe that therefore I must always be successful, must always do really well? Like I know it. I, I may not. I might start sucking tomorrow. For all I know, I don't think I will. I hope not to. I will try my absolute best. I'll work bloody hard not to. But if it does, it does. Uh, and I don't have to be even to be dismissive, mate, because it's the right question. You're absolutely asking the right question. Um, I pull up the sheriff as a scorecard, Ram, uh, and this is ugly, right? So to your point, the last last few months have been terrible. Um, we on the last ten recommendations I've made, I am down on nine of them. How's that for marketing? Um, <laughs> one's down six and a half percent. One's up four point four percent, which is great. I'm down forty eight percent on one, six percent, fifty six percent, sixty percent, sixteen, zero point eight four, zero point two five. I have a good day today. They might bounce back, and by the time you listen to this, maybe they're maybe they're ahead. Hopefully they are. Uh, the one before that, by the way, was up forty percent. The one before that was up ninety six percent. Now, if I go back to 2020, which I know was a long time away, a long time ago, but in that uh, in that group of stocks, there's only three that are in negative territory, 
and there are two stocks that are up more than 100%. One's up 149%, one's up 197%. Now, is that a guarantee? Of course not. No, absolutely not. Um, we're not saying these things can be taken for granted. What I'm saying is that if your long-term theses play out, you should judge us over that period. And you've got access to our scorecards, right? Go back to Share Advisor and look at what I've done since 2012 and say, you know, has he been more right than wrong over that period of time? If so, there might be something to it. And I'm not saying something to me, right? I'm saying something to long-term investing. So even if you... I, I hope you don't cancel your services, but if you do, that's completely cool. Keep listening to the podcast. Um, do something else. Find a different way. Go to Strawman. Go to someone else. Do whatever you need to do to, to be happy with your investing. But here's the thing. this uh, the, What you're living through is the reality of investing. If it's not this year and it's not ShareAdvisor, it'll be in three years' time with somebody else. And probably ShareAdvisor as well because the market does that from time to time. It just sucks sometimes. Um, and I've, I'm down as well, Andrew, you, to your point. Your, your portfolio's down. My portfolio's down. Mine's down a lot. Actually, last month has been pretty good. So I've kind of bounced back nicely because tech's up 15% in the last month. And it's also, by the way, Mel sent this question a couple of days ago. We're not going to get questions from people who say, hey, my, my tech stocks are up 15% in the last month. What am I doing right? <laughs> and that's not, a, that's not, again, the criticism of Manuel. This mm. is the reality is we focus on this, the other stuff, right? We say, what's going wrong? We don't say, what's going right when it's going right? Or, you know, is this too good to be true? Or, you know, what should I do? I'm making too much money. Um, and that's very, very reasonable, right? Completely reasonable. Uh, your answer, Manuel, I'll just go to you a couple of other questions. Why are you so far from the All Lords? The answer is because tech has sucked and mining has done really well. And we have, I don't think any mining companies recommend that Motley Fool in across any service and very few banks and financial services companies. They have had a spectacular last six months. The fact the ASX is flat largely has everything to do with BHP. Take BHP out, the share market's down. <laughs> So it's so big. Though when BHP, does BHP well, didn't, BHP hasn't done anything different. It's right. just all of a sudden it's, it's able to sell its products yeah. for a much higher price. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so that, and that's that's great. That's fine. Uh, what my point is that volatility is just when you know if you own BHP, you've done well. If you haven't owned BHP, you've owned the rest of the market. You've actually done badly or, or relatively badly. Um, just by owning one stock, it happens to be a massive and b having a really good six months. Um, so what have you done wrong? Or why are you so far from the, your lords? Because growth stocks are in the wane, resource stocks are in the ascendancy and that's just where we're at. The ASX is outperforming the S&P 500 this year. Why? Because we've got more resource stocks than they've got. That's literally what's going on. Um, so, you know, those, those, are, the, those are the challenges. Um, what else? Oh, we need to move on a little bit. Uh, you've got more money where to put it. Put it in the ideas you think are best value for the future from now. Um, if you've got our service, we have our best buys now. That's what we do. So if you want to use our services for that, you can use those features. Um, otherwise, to Andrew's point, don't buy the cheap stuff. Don't buy the stuff that's gone up either. Buy the stuff that from now looks best value. If you still like the companies, if you think you've got good companies, great. Which ones do you like best? Both in terms of actual quality and the current price you're being offered. If your favorite company is down 50%, well, guess what? You get a bargain. If you're right, I would be diversified, by the way. Keep buying ETFs if that's part of your strategy. Spread the money around a little bit if you if you can because you might be wrong or we might be wrong. Um, we've got heaps of companies on the scorecard. There's a very good reason for that. And I think we're doing we're doing reasonably well because of that in large part. So do that. Um, buying new companies worries you because you have some, the paperwork is a nightmare. I think you can fix that. Um, I would, the last thing I would want you to do, Manuel, is to not buy stocks because of the paperwork. I think that's probably the, the very least, last in the, re- <laughs> the list of reasons not to buy something. Um, I know it's painful. Uh, but grab share site, grab Excel, do something. Um, I, 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 it's up to you. You've you got to manage the paperwork and you have to make sure you do it properly. But I try desperately not to make that, let that be the reason you don't buy something. Um, if your 18th best idea or your 20th best idea, whatever you've got now, is a new one. Oh, sorry, 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 let me start again. If your best idea is a new stock, put more clearly, uh, then I wouldn't avoid that for the paperwork. But that's 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 up to you. Um, very Last question. Uh, I'm trying hard to keep the faith in the long-term strategy. The cynic in me thinks, what a great business. Customers pay annually and don't get to judge you for three to five years. You are absolutely right to be cynical or at least sceptical about that, mate, because that's absolutely true. Motley Fool is going to take your money now for a year and say, we're investing in these companies for five years. But I also think if you look back at the scorecard, um, you will see that, in fact, our best performers are the older stocks. <laughs> so the customers who have been around for a while and have bought a representative sample of those have done really, really well. Again, no guarantees, blah, blah, blah. Um, usual stuff. I don't say blah 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 to you know just because it's the usual boilerplate stuff, but it's real. Um, look back to the 2020 scorecard I talked about. Look back even further. Our big winners are old. I've said before. I think on this podcast, Ram, occasionally members say, "Well, your old stocks are going great. Your new stocks aren't going very well, are they?" 
You, people said that three years ago. And those are the stocks mm. now that people say, well, they're going well, but the new ones aren't, are they? And in three years' time, people will be looking back at some version of last year's stocks or this year's stocks saying, well, the 2022 stocks are going well, but the 2025 stocks aren't going well, are they? Um, mm. That's kind of the point, Manuel. So if you, again, mate, this is the thing. Um, if you want to be a cynic or you think we're, we're robbing you, then by all means, uh, don't renew your membership. Go and find somewhere else you're happier with. Um, I mean that genuinely, mate. I'm not being a smart aleck. If, if you're not comfortable, then, then go and do something else. If you do go somewhere else, yep. um, don't do it. Don't look for the people who have done really well <laughs> in the last six months. That's actually a good point too. Because yeah. you, really, you really do need to, whether it's a fund manager yeah. or whatever, you really sort of sort of need to see people's records over yeah. um, you know, at least a cycle, you yeah. know, yeah. A, a reasonable period of time because – I could set up a service which was pick stocks based on throwing darts at the financial review. Yeah, that's right. You know, and, yeah. and there's going to be times where I really significantly outperform. Do I have a good process? Is it a smart investment strategy? No. Yeah. Is it guaranteed to outperform for, for certain periods of time? It actually is. It's sort of it's statistically inevitable that, yeah. that, that that's going to happen. Yeah. You see people do this with managed funds and so they get their annual statement, oh, this is terrible and, you know, so I'm, I'm out. <laughs> oh, this one over here's done really well. I'm going to shift all my money into this. And, yeah. you know, the academics have studied it. It's yeah. it's actually yes. the worst yeah. strategy that you can. Yes. You all also all pretty much should do the, the opposite uh, of that. It's just so emotionally difficult that no one can do it. Mm. But I mean, I wouldn't even make it about what what you've done. I mean, you're in good company. I said to you the other day that I just recently watched The Big Short, and yes. you've got Michael Burry who predicted the the subprime crisis, and uh, he was down. Gosh, he was down a lot mm. at one point. He ended up making a fortune, as we all know. <laughs> yeah, that right. people were threatening to take their money out, threatening to sue him. You know, mm. Buffett bought Apple ages ago, and just Apple did nothing for ages. Mm. You know, Buffett in the usual headlines: Buffett's lost it. Rah, rah, rah. Yeah, now, yeah, now yeah, he's yeah. now he's a genius again because yeah, the share prices right. happened to <laughs> gone up. It's been a, it's yeah. been a good year. Yep. You know, process is is everything yep. in this game, good and point. it's a, it's a process that has no statistical guarantee of, of always timing it right and getting it right. Mm. And, and you, you know, we always mention the big names, but just, just find any person who has outperformed. Hamish Douglas, you know, he's having a bad run at the moment, yeah, pretty yeah. great track record. Yep. You know, Peter Lynch, you, you name it. Just pick, I don't know, go, go Google, best investors in the world. Look at their, <laughs> look at their performance. Yeah. And they've all had not only periods of underperformance, but significant underperformance and enduring as well. So like multi-year periods. It's it's really hard. It's really 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 hard. But but you know it's 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 why there is op- the pretty much the fundamental reason as to why there is such great wealth creation, long term wealth creation opportunities in the market, is because um, uh, it's so scary and so volatile that all these sort of stupid things happen. Most people can't do it. And so if if you're one of, if you're one that has that correct emotional temperament and and um, you're focusing on the right thing, i.e. the company, not the share price, and you're doing that over a me- meaningful period of time, that's why the opportunity is there. Because yeah. if we were all homo economicus and super hyper-rational people, everyone would do the right thing. And, and in fact, we'd all get term deposit type returns in the market because everyone would be super, super, super sensible. And thank goodness they're not. Yeah. And long may that continue. That's right. <laughs> It That's sounds right. flippant. I really don't mean to sound it that way, but it's kind of true. Well, that's where the true. opportunity comes, right? And it, it, it is. I've got to say, mate, as a, as a financial advisor, the hardest part of my job is that I'm trying to help people. Um, the hardest part of my job. That's that's over, that's over the top. I'm trying to help people make better financial decisions, and the more people I help make better financial decisions, the less free money there is for the rest of us. Because <laughs> if mm-hmm. if we actually convince, oh, you'll the never change market, it. No, I know. But if we convince yeah, the entire market to say, "Hey, do this properly." You wouldn't get anywhere near the volatility nor the opportunities that are that are obviously or seemingly available and have been for decades. Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger were asked a question. I've been in the Berkshire meeting four times. I think you've been with me once. I'm not mm. sure if the one we were at or not. 50th um, anniversary, I was at. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, they were asked something like, uh, so aren't you worried that if you keep doing this stuff, everyone will start copying you and there will be less opportunities left? And I'm pretty sure it was Charlie Munger because it's like typically a Serbic thing. He was like, we were doing 50 years and we, you know, nothing's changed yet. People are still people still as crazy as they were when we started. Was like, yeah, where's that effect? It was, it's kind of that idea, right? You're right, Matt. We'll never change it entirely. And that's both an opportunity for me and also incredibly frustrating for me because it's, uh, you know, there are people out there who are, who are not, who are making suboptimal returns because of those behavioral challenges that they don't. And this is, by the way, professionals as well. But if you're invested with a professional, you are, you know, copying their inability to outperform and, and vice versa. But as you say, mate, there's some data, I've mentioned this before, Morgan Housel, who's a great writer, 
wrote an article years ago and it compared the average, so the, the market average is X. The average fund is X minus 1% because they charge fees. The average fund investor is X minus 2%. Mm. And the reason is exactly what you just talked about, mate, is that people chop and change. You know, people, we, say, we say to people, oh, you know, managed funds don't, as a group don't beat the markets. Absolutely true. And yet the average managed fund investor still does even worse again because they're chopping and changing. And it's that, that idea of, of, as you said, chasing the last winner or just getting frustrated with whatever strategy. Sometimes it's just like, I'll go over there because he's doing better. Or sometimes I can't stay here because this just hurts too much or whatever it is. Turns out the average fund investor does worse than the average fund, which so is worse a better- than the average market return. It was Peter Lynch's Magellan Fund that has one of the best long-term records in existence. Right. I think he made his clients 20% plus per annum over for a stupid, stupid long period yeah, of time. Yeah, yeah. Um, most of the clients he had lost money. <laughs> Is that right? Lost yeah. money? Yeah. So, oh, you know, wow. not a strong majority, but it was something like, you know, yeah, over yeah, half yeah. had lost yeah. money because because they oh. they sold out every every time that there was a dip. And and it just sort of it boggles the mind. It's like, how do you? That's extraordinary. So you're you're talking about the challenge. Well, not there's the challenge of picking the right sort of horse to back. But the irony is, is you pick the right horse, you'll probably still lose money if if you're not if you're not approaching it in a sensible way. You know, it's extraordinary. That's um, amazing. And well, you, you you say at the end, I think I have the guts to ride out the storm. I'm far from panicking, but I really don't understand why I'm off the mark. I hope we've addressed that a little bit. And what should I do? We've only spent half an hour on it, so I'm pretty well, sure we've addressed it. <laughs> <laughs> and what should I do to adjust my portfolio, position myself the best to gain when my beaten up stocks finally turn around? It's the same answer as every other bit of investing, um, which is buy the stuff you think has the best opportunity. I'm going to leave you with one thought, Manuel. If you didn't own any stocks and you had all, bought all that money in the market today, which companies would you buy and how would you feel about them? And for most of us, the answer is, I feel worse having been down, you say, 16% for you. If I walked to the market and said, hey, this thing's on special for 16% off, do you want some? I'm like, yeah, I'll buy some of that. That's a great opportunity. And so the way you feel about company X, call it uh, Rampage's resources, just for fun, um, you, you're going to feel disappointed by that. Dis- um, you're going to want to do something else, find somewhere else, Blame the stock, blame yourself, blame your advisor. Um, this sucks. I don't want to do this anymore. This is terrible. This stock is, I'm not going to buy more of this stock or I'm not going to buy this stock because I'm, I'm down so much. If you'd walked up to it and said, hey, this is on special. Do you want to buy this thing? It's down 15, 16, 20, 25%. Uh, you like the company every bit as much because you do the analysis. You haven't owned it before. You do the analysis, you find exactly the same thing. You're cool. The only thing that's changed between when you did the analysis last time and this time is the shares are cheaper. If you hadn't bought the shares, you'd be like, thank God I didn't buy them then, but I'll buy them now because they're cheap. That's great. Or you say, I already own them. That sucks. I'm feeling terrible about this investment. And it's human nature and it's normal and it's natural. I'm not criticizing you for a second. I just want you to kind of keep both those thoughts in your head at the same time. Because generally speaking, the ones you should invest in or stay invested in are the ones for whom you have the greatest confidence of the greatest upside from here. And yep. if they're cheaper than that- they were and the business hasn't changed, the upside potential is even higher. Yep. Don't, just, don't just compound that- the mistake. Just to add to that, though, just because you're down sixteen percent doesn't mean it won't go down further. Yes, oh, right. So, so, and I know you're not saying that, but that's yeah. that's the other sort of angle. Go, okay, mm-hmm. I see your point. That's an interesting point. I'm, I'm with you there. Okay, I'll buy now. And then three months, like, well, now I'm down another bloody ten percent. Like, what the hell? It's like it, it's normal. I mean, the very, very best investments I've ever made, mm-hmm. uh, I was down on uh, all of them. I think after I bought them, and, and pretty significantly. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, um, and you know, it, it's just sort of. It's just frustrating waiting for the market mm-hmm. to to agree with you yeah. is really frustrating. Like, as you sit there going, "What is it? Exactly. What am I missing?" And the exactly. truth the truth is, is that you might not be missing anything. It might be the market that's missing it. I, and one final point, and, and and then we've got to move on. We do because this this horse is so ridiculously flogged to death. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, I think I think it's also a very. There's no shame. Mm-hmm. There's no shame in know thyself, and I mm-hmm. say this a lot. If if it's not for you and yeah, it's not for most yeah, people, yeah, because yeah. it is it is if it's if it's keeping you up at night and you're feeling lots of stress, that's no way to live a life. Yeah, totally. Buy, buy an ETF, uh, commit to add some money every three months or six months or whatever it is. Whenever you save up some money, and you know, go 
paint, garden, golf, whatever it is that, yep. that you know, that do, do that. Here's the thing. It's not like you're taking a huge compromise. It's not like yeah. one choice is yeah. between, oh, I'm going to get 12% per annum from here till eternity on average or, and the other's one, I'm going to get 3%. It's actually, mm. it's actually you're probably still going to get a double-digit return. Oh, it's fan, it's fantastic. We'll have a lot of time. Just do that. Just yeah. do that. No shame. There's yep. no shame in doing that. And, and in, in fact, it's an incredibly smart thing to do. And virtually every friend or family member that I have, that's my advice to them. Yep. Not because I don't think they've got the competence or intelligence or any of, you know, that. It's just like they're not into this stuff. Mm-hmm. And, they're, you know, that, and they're not like, they don't, you know, so it's, do that. It's really easy. And, 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 and this, is the, this is the thing. It's you kind of get to have your cake and eat it too. You get the great returns, but without, without nearly as much stress. You'll, you'll still be down, over, by the way, over, uh, reasonable periods of time, but it's, it's just so and much easier. For an average. Yeah, do that. Do that. Easy. Easy peasy. Uh, go do something else and, and um, come thank me in 10 years. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Now, mate, uh, let's go to a question from Tom. We won't go back to Manuel's question. We will leave that behind. Uh, but uh, a really good comment. You sure? We could do another half hour. <laughs> we could. Yeah, that's right. The, in the uh, the extras on the cutting room floor. Um, really great question, Manuel, by the way. I loved it because it just it's, it goes to the heart of a lot of investing psychology. So, mate, thank you for asking it. Uh, Tom says, G'day, Scott and Ram. I asked a question late last year regarding advice for beginners. I always worry when questions start this way because I'm not sure what the response is going to be. And where and how you get your information when making a decision on investing before you pull the trigger. Your insights and advice was take six months and read a bunch of books. And so far I've read The Path by Peter Lynch and I'm currently halfway through one up on Wall Street. I appreciated your advice then, so I wanted to say thank you. You're welcome, Tom. I have another question I'd like to ask regarding the difference between ETFs and direct investing. I currently own a large, he says, by my standards, weighting of the Vanguard Total US Stock Market ETF. That's VTS on the ASX, if you're wondering. Vanguard Total US Stock Market. And to a lesser extent, VAS, which is the Vanguard ASX 300 ETF. Plus a few high growth at a lower weight, Motley Fool recommendations, as well as some other industrial property investment and development companies, which is my profession. My question is regarding the difference in ownership between an ETF and directly investing. If I own $15,000 worth of the Vanguard Total Market ETF, do I actually own a share of those specific American companies listed on the ASX, the same as if I have invested that 15K in the companies directly? Or is it different in terms of actual ownership of a portion of the companies through an index? I hope this makes sense. Thank you for your insights. Non-personal advice, haha, he says. And the, all the effort you put into your podcast, you really do make a huge difference in people's lives. And for that, I am grateful. Tom, that's very, very kind. Oh, he says full on, by the way, to finish off. Tom, very kind, mate. Um, yeah, we like to think we are helping some people. And if we've helped you, that's great. If helping other people, that's that's cool too. So I uh, really appreciate those those kind words. Um, structure of the ETF, mate. If, I, if he owns VTS, which is the Vanguard Total US Stock Market on the ASX, does he own a share of those specific American companies or is it different in terms of ownership of a direct investment itself? It's a little bit different. So those those shares are held in a trust and you own ownership to a trust or some structure mm-hmm. as such. Um, so it's kind of an extra layer of abstraction. Mm. But but I think for all intents and purposes, yeah, you do. You do own it. And it's, it's one of those things that's not worth, uh, worrying about, yeah. I, should, I was going to say thinking about. Well, definitely, <laughs> definitely, you know, you need to know. But, but, but it's it's those those ETF instruments that you buy are backed by those actual securities that they buy. They buy the, they take your money and the investors and all the money of investors, and they use that and they go and buy these a bunch of shares and they chuck them together, wrap it up in some kind of trust structure or whatever it is. You might know the, the specifics better than me. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's as I say, it's, it's an extra layer of abstraction. But legally, yeah, you, I think you could say I say all the time I own a bit of Google. I don't have I don't have any direct <laughs> Google shares, but I've got a Nasdaq uh, uh, ETF, and and so I own a little bit that way. Yeah, it's a little bit different I, too because I don't get the voting rights and yeah. all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, so it's so not. I'm not. Yeah, it's for all intents, your economic exposure is the same. Mm. 
you, if you were to take your fifteen thousand dollars, and I'm going to, I'm going to make life, my life really simple. I'm going to call a thousand dollars, and you bought an ETF that tracked the top hundred companies in the US. Uh, then proportionally, your thousand dollars gets split across those hundred companies in proportion to their ownership. You don't own the shares at all, um, but the big managed fund. Uh, let's make it Australian, right? In Australia, it's easy. Ten percent of the market's BHP ish, right? Mm-hmm. If you buy the VAS uh, ETF, which you've talked about, which is exactly right, then you own a, a share of a fund that has 10% of its assets in BHP. And so when BHP goes up, you your investment will go up by the same proportion. So you get the same economic interest as if you own the shares directly. You don't get the voting rights. Vanguard will exercise those voting rights on your behalf. Um, you don't own the actual shares. You have no title to those shares. That is... Very, 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 very slightly riskier than only the shares themselves because if Vanguard was to go broke or something goes wrong, there is a middle person, a middleman who who has the official legal ownership of those assets. Even though you have your legal ownership of units in a trust, those two aren't matched one for one all the time. That said, uh, I own both those ETFs, I think in different... I don't own VAS, actually. I own, two, I own three Vanguard ETFs. Uh, I don't lose a second sleep. I, I love chess, by the way. I will always choose chess sponsorship over non-chess sponsored Australian shares. So I do absolutely take those things seriously. Um, but any of the big funds are fine in my view. Vanguard's even finer, which is not a word in this context, but I'm making it one, because uh, they're a not-for-profit. They're there to help you out. They're there to put the appropriate rules in place to make sure that you get looked after. Um, so, you know, would it, would it be slightly safer if you own them directly? Kind of. Although in the US, if you own shares through a US stockbroker, you don't own the shares yourself anyway. So it's actually the same thing. So the unit, the unit trust is probably safer actually than owning them yourself. Um, mm-hmm. I won't get into the full details of that, but effectively, if I buy some shares in Berkshire, which I own through my broker, which is Charles Schwab, they buy some Berkshire shares, they put them in a vault, in, in you know a metaphorical vault, and they say, hey, you own some of that, Scott. Berkshire doesn't know I own the shares. There's no legal ownership directly of those shares. I'm entitled to, though, to be able to sell those shares at any point, but if Schwab was to get in trouble... Um, then my shares would be at risk. And Vanguard as a unit trust is actually less risky in my view. I'm pretty sure legally, but I won't make that claim because I'm not a lawyer than actually owning the shares directly in air quotes in the US companies anyway. So I actually I feel better about owning a Vanguard stock market fund uh, than I do in owning my shares directly, but through a broker who doesn't give me absolute legal title. Uh, we do have that in Australia, by the way, so it's a different thing, but that's, that's the view. Any more on that, mate? Nope. Well answered. Question from Pete who says, Hi, Scott and Rant. Love it. Uh, please use first name only. Says Be Pete. nice. And I will. I've been listening to your podcast. It's better than Scram. I mean, I'm not sure if it's better than Scram or not. <laughs> I've been listening to your podcast for several years. And with your help and some hard work, my wife and I are now at the point where we're in our late 40s and ready to pay off the mortgage. I actually have some sound effects. That's a, that's a very cool pl- place to be in your, in, your, um, in your late 40s. That's spectacular. Well done, Pete. Uh, good on you for working hard, saving hard. Um, I imagine, I, I hope you would imagine, uh, acknowledge there's a bit of luck in there as well as there is for all of us, but uh, mate, well done, very, very well done. We're excited by being in this fortunate position. We are in that at that point where we need to answer the question, what's next? First class problem, but a real question, real problem nonetheless. I know you can only give general advice, so we're currently assessing some proposals from personal financial advisors, which is, as he says, an expensive exercise in itself, it is. But I'd be keen to hear your perspective as to what things we should consider when looking at planning out the next few decades of our lives. What factors would you consider if you're in the following situation? So I'll pose this question to you, Ram. Mm. Mortgage, a $30,000 mortgage on a $1.1 million home. Very cool. Cash, 30 grand. Combined super, 600 grand and making additional contributions. Share portfolio outside super, 80 grand. If we pay off our mortgage, we won't have any spare cash and we lose access to our $100,000 overdraft. Should we use the equity in our home too? Option one, negative gear into an investment property. Not my preference, says Pete, as we're already $1.1 million in debt, or sorry, in exposure to the Australian real estate market. Two, take out a loan against our home to invest in the global share market. Sounds okay, but how big should the loan size be? Interested in your general views only, as I know you can't give personal advice. Thank you, Pete. Cool position to be, hey, mate. So house is almost paid off, got mm. some cash, income coming in, got some super being built up. 
Um, we can't give Pete advice. There is a challenge that the more information you give us, dear listener, the, the more this can be constituted as personal advice. We have to be really, really careful. Um, but let's let's try and break this down, mate. So mortgage almost paid off. Some cash on the sidelines, which could pay the mortgage off. Or there's an overdraft. There's the opportunity for you redrawing some equity for investment property or something else. There's a share portfolio. What sort of considerations should Pete be uh, including in his decision-making? I think it's always best to start off with what can go wrong. We all start with what can go right. Yeah, um, true. And so that, that, that's a good place to start. Yep. And the, the potential of paying it all, your, your current mortgage off, is that it's very hard for anything to go wrong. You might have some regrets. Oh, God, I could have put it all into, <laughs> you know, Dogecoin and made a trillion dollars. You know, hindsight's always going to tell you exactly what you should have done. Yeah. Um, but nothing can go wrong. Yeah. I mean, you're bulletproof yeah. under that scenario. And, and the trade-off there is that you, you, you're giving up some mm. uh, uh, potential upside by, by investing elsewhere. Mm. Um, uh, so I, 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 that, that's a personal thing. You know, some people love that security and I, I really respect that actually. Yeah. Um, you could put it all into shares. You could focus purely on the Indonesian speculative small cap market. <laughs> If you wanted to, and you might do incredibly well. Or you your your, your personal obsession, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, there's they just you know, and go to the uh, what's the exchange in Newcastle called? Um, a few people know about National it. Stock there's, Exchange, I think, isn't it? Yeah, it's like you know, really, really nano cap kind of yeah, companies. Yeah. But you know, if you get it right there, you make a squillion. Um, more <laughs> often than not, you probably lose the lot. But it's <laughs> so there's this big spectrum of yeah. risk that yeah. you can then sort of say, well, okay, what do I do? And it's all a question of opportunity cost and where you sit. It's a personal a personal choice. Me, yeah. um, given that the loan is almost paid off, mm. uh, it's going to be, I mean, I don't know how much your house is going to have to fall before you're in any trouble, but probably to a degree that you could reasonably say is not going to happen. And if it does happen, we've got bigger problems. You know, you'd be trying to protect yourself against the zombies or the alien invaders at that point. So <laughs> so I, I think you're pretty safe. And I would, I would yeah. me, be very clear on this, be very tempted to put that into some, uh, mm. so some equities because mm. history will tell me and anyone that, cares to look that that tends to be the best performing asset class over the long term. It's also the most volatile asset class, so there is that. Um, but, you know, you've still got uh, 20 the decades to go, you know. So over that period, you'll probably experience two or three massive market crashes as well. <laughs> yeah, but but it's it's if history is any guide, you'll that's probably your your best bet. Um, yeah, so that, that's what I would do. But but each to their own. <laughs> I wouldn't, let me say this. Here's the rant for you. Let's oh, dear. G- give the people what they want. <laughs> no, no, you just, you just hope that's what the people want so you can give you an excuse to rant, but go on. <laughs> let me take a deep breath. <laughs> uh, uh, don't, don't put it into a negatively geared investment property. I, I just, I can't for the life of me comprehend putting something into an asset which is actually going to cost me more than it generates in cash. <laughs> Do you know, it just, it yeah. just, boggles my mind personally yeah. and and there'll be plenty of people saying you're an idiot because I've done exactly that and I've made squillions of dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Good for you. There's a bloke who went into the casino last night and walked out with 10 grand if only investing $100. <laughs> it's, you know, you've, you've got to be very careful um, yeah. on on that that kind of investment strategy, which works wonderfully well in a in a in a environment of rapidly mm-hmm. increasing or capital appreciation, works really well. Um, in any, in even a sideways environment, it works really bad. Mm. Um, so you have to have a. And the other trouble with it is it's it's a concentration thing. So I, I really find it peculiar that someone can have four different negatively geared properties with a notional value of four or five million dollars <laughs> and see that as perfectly normal. But if you say, hey, maybe buy ten thousand dollars in a broad based ETF, so ooh, share market, that sounds risky. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know? Um yeah. so if you do do that, as yeah. as he's pointed out, like you're gonna have to take on a huge amount of debt again. Um, you're going to be on, on from a cash flow basis. You're going to see more money going out the door that is coming in, mm. and it might go okay if we see house prices continuing to appreciate at the rate they have historically. Now, mm. I've got a very firm view on that. Uh, others will have a different view, and if 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 it turns out that we see houses increasing at what they, was it last year, twenty five percent or something? Yeah, twenty four percent. Yes, <laughs> be the best best thing you ever did. Absolutely, will be yeah. the best thing you ever did. Yeah. If if something else happens, it'll be the worst thing you ever. And you'll, you'll <laughs> as I said at the beginning, you've got to start off with what can go wrong. Yeah. And under that scenario, again, like you, we can we can debate the toss on in terms of exactly what you think, and who knows? Yeah. No one knows is, is the truth. We'll find out in, in a few years' time or whatever. 
But but what can go wrong um, is is that you get wiped out, and that's not a life to live for, for me. Particularly in a, particularly for a person who's in a very very comfortable situation. Like why risk what you don't what you have and need for something that you don't have and don't need? You know, for the sake of making a little bit extra money, it's just it, it's very 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 risky to my mind. I should say uh, you are quoting Warren Buffett there. Before that's a, that's a short that's a short version of that particular rant. But yeah, yes, yes it is. <laughs> well, it's not short. It's just short as it could be. Um, <laughs> could have been shorter. He says. <laughs> well, like I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it's not necessarily short. Uh, no, 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 it's mate. It's unlike you and I talk about the same things over and over again. So you're very welcome to do that in this in this particular instance. Um, so I completely agree, 100 percent agree with your point. Um, risking your financial future for a requirement or sorry, an outcome you don't need is to me almost the very definition of silliness can I say politely Um, I don't know I have a go at you but all Pete I absolutely get the idea I think we're and look here's the thing right I'm the finance guy saying that uh, we're we're kind of too addicted to greed in this country (laughs) and it's like well how about your point back at yourself knucklehead and that's probably true too um, though if you follow me on Twitter or anywhere else, you will know that I'm not the usual, uh, you know, capitalism at any cost, boosterist kind of guy, and nor is Ram. Um, if you've got a $1.1 million house mortgage-free, you've got probably 15 to 20 years worth of a regular working life. You may or may not want to work after that. You may or may not want, want to leave, stop working earlier than that. You've got a half million dollar or $600,000 uh, superannuation, which is... Probably going to double every seven years or so. Uh, so give yourself 14 years left, don't add a single another dollar. That goes to $2.4 million. So one, six to 1.2 to 2.4 in 15-ish years. Um, uh, you've got a share portfolio. You've got an income. I assume your incomes will continue to be reasonable and, and continue at that sort of level. Uh, I reckon you've pretty much made it, Pete. And I think anything you add to this now is kind of one of those, hey, how can we make our lives a little bit better without taking any undue risk? Mm. And that's a really, really, really unusual comment for someone in my position or Ram's position to make uh, because the answer is, well, I think you should negatively gear this and double that. You might have $4 million by the time you retire. Wouldn't that be great? Yes, it would be spectacularly good. Is that really the best thing you can do with your money from now on? Is that the best way to spend, as Ram says, the, the, the night times tossing and turning, thinking, gee, do I really need to borrow that million dollars for that investment property or not? Or by the way, a share portfolio, I, you know, mm. you talk about a negative investment property, I get it. You can do the same with shares. You could borrow, you could, you could pull out $700,000, that $1.1 million, the bank wouldn't blink. You throw out more shares uh, and you'd be sweet. Uh, now, I think you probably do really well, frankly, but is it a good idea? I don't think so um, because you don't need to take the risk, you know, and the older you get, as we all are getting older, the less time you've got to make back a, a, a fundamental, monumental mistake at this point in your life. You screw something up at the age of 54, there's no time left to make that. You've, you've, you've lost 35 years of, of workforce compounding and you're trying to make it back. So look, each to their own. Uh, there are people out there who are saying, well, of course you could and of course it would be safe and of course you want to maximise the amount of money you got and whatever and I get that and I wouldn't criticise anyone who chooses to do it as long as they really, really understand what they're doing. And as long as they're prepared for the full range of outcomes rather than just the good stuff, which is, hey, maybe I'll make a fortune. Mm. Um, I'm not as negative about investment property as Ram is. I think, you know, if, if it's very it's least, hard to be as negative as me. This is true. Well, look, here's the thing, right? At the very, at the very worst, um, the negative gearing part is just forced saving that you might have otherwise saved anyway. And if in 25 years' time you've paid off the thing and you've forced saved a million dollars on a million dollar property and you put it into investment and you have a million dollar property in, in, a, in 20 years' time, then you've got a million-dollar property in 20 years' time that you can sell or live off or whatever, right? Is it the best thing you can do with your money? No, I don't think so, nor is RAM. Uh, but is it, is it a terrible thing? No, I think, I think it's fine. I wouldn't do it for the tax savings. But, you know, if you save, I don't know, 500 bucks a month and put it in shares or pay 500 bucks a month off a negative investment property at the end of the period, you've got a million dollars worth of somethings or some some version of that, 800,000, 1.1 million dollars, 1.5 million dollars, whatever those numbers end up being. Uh, then I think that's completely fine. And I, you know, if you want to do it, go for it. I think the tax saving is way too over-egged uh, by accountants yep. and others. Uh, yep. And I think that's, that's you know, there's a problem with it. But, you know, I have no problem with, with forced savings of mortgages and investment properties necessarily, except for- Well, the there's, 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 there's subtlety there, right? Like there is subtlety I think there. I, I, get, I get 
I think I get misunderstood a lot. Oh, you know, Andrew hates property. Like, don't. I, I, think say, I didn't say that. I didn't say no, that. I know you didn't, but I just okay. for the for the sake of clarity, that just property <laughs> is a wonderful investment. Yeah. But I mean, leveraging leveraging yourself to the eyeballs mm-hmm. and assuming that nothing ever ever will go wrong is is just seems seems hyper speculative. Yep. I, I don't know. What, I don't know. Again, it's worked very well. So it's mm-hmm. people will point to to that that past decade or so of history of where where that has worked very yep. well. But yep. and I'm not saying it definitely won't. But yep. but it could. And when I say bad, I mean like just you know if, if you're hyper leveraged on something and it falls ten mm-hmm. percent, the loss to your equity, you're pretty much wiped out. Yeah. You know, and and if in yeah. God forbid you get sick or you lose your job or something, you just you know you, then you yeah, suddenly exactly. have to crystallize these losses. It's kind of Again, it's not that that will happen, but it yep. could happen. Yep. And you've got to be aware of that as a consequence. The, the trouble with this, so many spruikers out there, it's it's sold as a guarantee. Yep. And it's not a guarantee. I mean, look at Ireland, look at the US, look at Spain, look at any, any 15 gazillion examples that you can give over time. It's not guaranteed. And yep. and whenever someone something is presented to you as a guarantee, and particularly when it's couched to try and save a bit of tax, which is yeah. a stupid rationalization for any investment. I mean, I, you know, it, it, it's, I just don't, I, I think we're in an environment where be, the memories aren't long enough because if, <laughs> if you've done something for so long and it's always worked yeah. out really well, we just yeah. assume to extrapolate that in the past and therefore it will always be good. And maybe it will, maybe it will, mm-hmm. but, but, it, but it couldn't be. I mean, I remember some previous jobs I've had uh, people complaining to me because they had a big tax bill to pay. And it's like, mm. you do realise you only pay tax when you make money. Like the only way the government doesn't, <laughs> right. says you don't have to pay us tax is when you lose money. That's yeah. that's why you're not paying any tax, right? So it's sort of, if I, I've said it before, if, if, if at the end of this financial year, the accountant turns around and says, Andrew, you owe the ATO $2 million. I have the biggest <laughs> smile on my face. Party right? like, house. exactly. The yeah. only way I'm paying $2 million in tax to the yeah. ATO is because I've made a squillion dollars, right? Um, happy days. Do I, what, I, yeah. what, do, what do I prefer here? To make a lot of money and end up having to pay some tax on that or to lose a lot of money and not pay tax? <laughs> you, you tell me yeah, what you totally. prefer. Totally. You know, and if, if, you, if you disagree with the conclusion, well, I've got a bridge to sell you because, you know, it, <laughs> you, you may not have thought it through. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, sec- yeah. second bonus rant. <laughs> no, you, and that's too, look, I said, you're exactly right. I think, um, I said, I, you know, uh, suboptimal, boy, not perfect, uh, suboptimal, whatever, can often be good enough for a lot of people as long as they, you know, go, go through the motions, right? If I, uh, but, but, the, the rationale, the motivations and the risks, I think are really, really important. And that's kind of back, oh, to, totally. back to Pete's question is just, you know, uh, mate, look, you know, if you want to do any of those things, that, that's completely fine and I'm sure you'll prob- probably be okay. Uh, and it would be a terrible thing, no. But again, you say, should we never give you an investment property? Should we take a loan against our home to invest in the global share market? I've said before a lot of times, if I could, be, if I could take my entire future contributions to super, uh, sorry, to, to, well, to super or to investing today, Without at a super low interest rate with a zero chance of a margin call, would I do it? Yes, I would absolutely do it because mm-hmm, I felt that positive about the long-term future of the stock market. But I also know I'm someone who's never, ever, ever going to sell in a panic because I'm here for the duration. Um, it's it's a different set of scenarios. So do I do I hate margin loans or investment loans for property or shares? No, not really. Do I love them? No, I don't. Do I think it's necessary? No, I really don't. Um, and... Uh, I would, I would allow if our, if our listeners is a group, and this is the thing, right? Averages, averages. We say this about probabilities all the time. Averages are fantastic when they're applying a large number of, of circumstances. Mm. Mm. But when your job is one or zero, when you your outcome is heads or tails, one toss, hundred or zero, which one do you want? Mm. It almost doesn't matter how weighted the coin is. Mm. If I could bet my entire financial future on a well, it's Russian coin, roulette, right? One in well, six chance. Here right. you go. Odds are on your side. Yeah, go for yeah. it. Yeah, well, have, 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 play that. How much money play would you have to be game. offered to, to play yeah. Russian roulette? Now, yeah. you know that, that's the point I was going to make, mate. If you, if you offer me a coin, so look, I will toss you for your entire net wealth, and I will weight the coin ninety ten in your favour. I will say no. Get stuffed. Yeah, go away. I have no interest. And by the way, I'll pay you ten to one if you win. No, nope, mm. still no interest. Literally mm. no interest because. That nine times, if, if 10 people play it, nine people are going to walk away stoked. The other one's ruined. Mm. And I may not be that guy or I might be that guy. And it just mm. isn't, give me one in a hundred, I still wouldn't do it. Well, if someone said you can, you can flip a hundred times, 
Yeah, I'm interested. Right. Oh, totally. Yes, yes, exactly. How you much nine, can I borrow? Nine, ten chance. Oh, I'm going to yeah. pay you ten to one, and you get the net result of of hundred coin tosses. I'm there in yeah. a heartbeat. Yeah. But if I can toss once, and and you know, even if you said, look, I'm taking out, you know, it's investment property. Okay, well, it's probably one property. It's international shares. Okay, well, it's you know, it's a diversified group. Love it. But if at some point you lose your job and you can't pay it back, and you're forced to sell out when the market's low, or if you freak out and sell out because the market's low because you or your wife change your mind. Or if just whatever happens, happens. You're starting with a million, $1.1 million free and clear. Superannuation, free and clear. 20 years of working, free and clear. You're not, your, your expenses just dropped because you're not paying your mortgage off anymore. So you can add more to your super. You can add more to your individual investment accounts. I'm sorry if this is a really boring answer. I'm sorry if it's a really risk-averse answer. I genuinely don't care. I would, if even one of our, if, if 90, 99% of our listeners borrowed money and did fantastically well, and one lost money, I would still say, guys, don't do it. Because that one person who's listening right now, that's the one in 10, that's the one in 100. It's not worth it. And you don't want to be that one person, right? Because no one's coming to your rescue. No one's paying you off. No one's saying, well, it was a good bet. Here's your money back. So it's mm. gone. It's gone. Mm. You don't get to go again. There is no replay on life. You've made it. I, Pete, this is, again, I'm, I'm not trying to be critical at all. I'm trying to be supportive and, and, and you know, congratulatory. You've made it, mate. This is, this is the finish line. Everything can, here can, is upside. I'd, I'd add to that that, that there's we've we've got to have a, a it's very odd for a finance podcast I know but I think we need a different definition of wealth. Yeah, it's not the number and of zeros in your bank account. Yeah, yeah. 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 you know, uh, for me, yep. uh, wealth is having the ability to have is 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 a, is a question of freedom. I'm just I'm not a car guy. I don't need a Ferrari. I don't need a yacht. <laughs> for me, success is never having to worry if I'm going to go hungry or cold yep. and being able to do the things that I enjoy in life as much as I possibly can. You know, frankly, if you were to gift me $2 million or so yep. and I felt I could reasonably earn a 10% return on that, I'd be the happiest person in the world. I don't need to own a mansion. Now, for other people, that's really important to, to have owner of those kinds of, and, that, and, that, and that's fine. Mm. But I'd argue I'd be far, far wealthier than someone who's worth $20 million but has mm. to work 80 hours a week in a job that's soul-destroying and crushes yeah. them. Yep. And, you know, and they're chained to this thing. It's like, yep, your bank account is bigger than mine. Um, I would not swap in a heartbeat. So, mm. so it's a, it's not, I'm not saying, therefore, this is how everyone should think, but that's, I think that's, I think we should all start with, not a question of maximizing. It's a means to an end. Money, yep. money yep. buys freedom, right? And it's a question of what makes you happy in life. Yep. You can't take it with you. Yes. You know. So if if you've got if you've you know late forties, paid off your mortgage, you're, you're rich. You are so rich. It's ridiculous how rich you are. Yes, you're not you're not James Packer. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But 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 you are you're probably in the top two percent of wealth on the planet, yep. and and you have a, you have a life that that you know King Henry the Eighth could couldn't possibly fathom, and sometimes enough is enough, and it's sort of like why as we've sort of said before why take extraordinary risks to have a few extra zeros when your day to day life the actual things that you do and enjoy is that really going to change? Can you not? Can you not go out to a nice restaurant occasionally? Can you not go on a few holidays <laughs> yeah, per yeah, year? Yeah. Can you not meet any emergency that sort of come? You, you it, job done. You're, you yeah. won. Yeah. Congrats, yeah. brilliant. You know, don't don't do silly things to to for, for ego and pride and status because it's 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 not for a happy life. Yeah, I um, I I completely agree. It's a it's a difficult. Um, Everyone needs to work out what their own view is. Everyone needs to work out what success is for them. Yeah. Our, our, our point is just, you know, this is this is spectacularly good. And if you want to make more money because that's going to make you happy, then great. But also have a think about it um, and see see how it how it goes. I um I will finish, mate. Well, I can't find the actual quote. I can find a summary of the quote. Uh, so that'll have to do us. Um, Jack Bogle, the the now deceased founder of Vanguard. Um, has Legend. a book out called Enough, funnily enough, and it's a really, mm. really good book. Mm. Um, and he starts the book and he's done some speeches starting with a story of uh, of all people. This is a, it's a pretty cool uh, dinner party conversation. Um, but there's a, there's a conversation between Kurt Vonnegut and Joseph Heller. Who I love Kurt Vonnegut. Slaughterhouse right, Joseph Like Imagine being at that, at that party, right? Great book. Um, mm. Vonnegut says to, to Heller, uh, words to the effect of, hey, mate, do you know that guy over there, the host, made more money in a single day than you've ever made from the sales of Catch-22. 
And Heller responds to Vonnegut and the quote is, yes, but I have something he will never have, enough. Mm. And it's kind of like that's Love the point, it. right? That's the point. So, again, we're getting philosophical very quickly here, but um, I think it's a, it's a good way to finish the podcast. Uh, decide for success for yourself, but decide on your own terms, not someone else's. Um, you know, the old story about the rat race is even if you win, you're still a rat. Um, so just just have a think about what, what success looks like. And if, you, and if it is... Mm. Borrowing to buy investment property and you want to take the risk, you want to live that life, then knock yourself out. Uh, me, I'm not going to do that. Um, I'm not going to borrow against my house too, but I could. And I feel, I, I feel, I think I'd be really, really successful at doing it. I just choose not to because my family's emotional well-being and comfort levels and not having to worry about the one in a whatever percent chance that I go belly up, just not worth it. Not worth mm. it for my kids, my wife, myself. Um, and I'm a finance guy, but I'm just not going to do it because it's not you know, to man's point, you know. Psychologists have been busy in this field for ages yeah, and yeah. and they, they do all kinds of happiness surveys for different demographics and people and stuff. And, you know, you look at the mega rich and they're as miserable as the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, they're a little bit more miserable, you know. They can drown their with uh, more expensive champagne. There is that. Yeah, yeah. Look, yes, it, it right. looks appealing, right. but yep. we're very adaptive humans. Yep. So you see it a lot with a lot of lottery winners, particularly some in the US, where the the, the, the jackpots are just ridiculously large. Yep. And generally speaking, you get this massive rush of "Wow, this is great! My life's forever better!" And it's great. It's a great yep. great year or two. But then it kind of standardizes after that. So in terms of your contentment, your your outlook, your happiness in life, it's about the same as it was before. What's really interesting, they do it in the other direction for people who have suffered really horrible tragedies in their life. You know, they've, mm-hmm. they've, they've become quadriplegic or something like that. So obviously yep. periods of depression and regret and all of that. Yeah. But their actual happiness levels stabilise as well. Mm-hmm. So we just, we, we you, you can put a human in all kinds of different situations <laughs> and we just adapt to that to that kind of stuff. So it's mm-hmm. just this idea that if only I get my million dollars, <laughs> then I will be happy. No, you actually okay. won't. You actually won't be. Yep. Um, so it's it's... You know, you know, you know the interesting output of a lot of this kind of studies too. Bizarrely enough, what not bizarrely, I don't know why I use that word, but interestingly enough, mm. um, what generates the most happiness is giving. Isn't that interesting? Funny that, isn't it? You know, I'd like to think if I had ten million dollars, and you know, I'd, I'd happily give a couple million dollars away because I'd probably get far, far more personal satisfaction and enjoyment out of that than I would by you know buying that that one extra ivory back, back scratcher or you know power yacht or whatever it is. Anyway, I love it. That's love me. It. And you a great do, way you do you, to. I'm doing me. <laughs> a great way to finish our call. Um, yeah, hope it's been useful. I'm not going to finish with any of our usual stuff because I think that's a nice note to finish on. Until next time, full on. Cheers. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under Financial Services Licence 400691. Listener.